0: It is good to to be together. Grateful for Abram to be here for the first time. First time church service goer, so that's exciting. Um, We have a very full passage today in Genesis 31. And so I I thought that I wanted to give it the time that it deserves to to, uh, percolate among us. And so if you're you're okay, we're just gonna dive into Genesis 31. Um, A little bit of context is, For 21 years, Jacob hasn't seen his his parents for 21 years. He hasn't been to the land that was promised to him. And it's time to go home. It's time to go back to the promised land um, to take his now large family that has accrued over the 21 years through uh, many kids being born. And so today is the day that they're planning to go back to the promised land, that they're planning to head back to the land, uh, to to go back, which is going forward. So time for them to go forward in their lives, which actually means going going back home. And so jumping in, verse 1, chapter 33 starts by saying, now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban, his father-in-law, were saying, so this this is his brothers-in-law, Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's. And from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Verse three, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. Um, so we're just going to pause there for a second. So we're going to be in the life of Jacob for a while because most of the second half of the book of Genesis, which we'll be in until like February, which might be like, really? But it could be like, really? <laughs> like, yes, we get the distinct honor and privilege to be uh, learning from so much in, the, in this book uh, for, for that time period. And observing the life of Jacob can be challenging because um, as we as we look at his life, we are looking at it from a distance and we're not getting like a daily play-by-play of exactly what's happening. And so 21 years have gone by and we know a lot that's happened in his life, but we don't get all the information about what was he thinking through all of these 21 years? Um, How much was he walking with God? God is clearly with him How much was he with God? How much was he talking with his God? So like sometimes I'll like have that question and then go back and try and reread. Have have that thought and go back and look for evidence of like how much is he walking with his God? How much is he talking like this? Because at times, Jacob seems like the guy who is just hearing from God. But then at other times, he seems to be his own God, just listening to his own thoughts of how he's going to make it in this life and how he's going to wield the promises of God to hopefully make him kind of have his best life that he wants for himself. So, so kind of in the cloud of that, in, in the fog of that, you look for just clear things. So one thing that we know very clearly is that Jacob and Laban are now at odds with each other. Jacob and his father-in-law are at odds with each other. And one way that we know that is Laban's sons are now talking trash about Jacob. And Laban's sons are saying that that Jacob has stolen from their dad all of the wealth, which interestingly, right, at inheritance would be theirs, (laughs) So they kind of have a a interest in the great wealth that is in front of all of them. We're not told numbers, but it's just the way people are talking, there's a lot of money, property, livestock involved in this. So, So what they are accusing Jacob of is he has gotten wealthy at Laban's expense. And in the previous chapter, it's like we don't have to look far in the previous chapter, we know that God made it clear to Laban that the reason he has been prosperous is because he has been with Jacob. So Laban was told directly by God, your proximity to Jacob is why you are prosperous. Which you can see why Laban has been dragging his feet in um, letting Jacob go where God is calling him to go. But what you also notice here is, well, maybe Laban like heard that from God but didn't believe it, option. Maybe he heard it from God, believed it, but has convinced himself because he had a bill come due and started thinking about that and it took him down a road or whatever it may be. We know that Laban did not correct his sons when his sons spoke trash of Jacob. Laban did not correct his sons. We know that crystal clear. So it's time, Jacob sees this happening and, and Jacob is realizing like, whoa, it's, it's getting tense around here. And Then God speaks directly to Jacob in verse three and I love how clearly he says, he says, return to the land of your fathers, go, go back to your family and I will be with you. And I just like, a phrase that I just like have kept thinking about this week is go home, I will be with you. Go home, I will be with you. It's clear God is with him. He says it, right? It's clear God will be with him, promises it to him. And it isn't clear how much Jacob has embraced this over the last 20 years. You know, it's kind of the saying like, the best time, like I look at my most of the trees on my property. Well, not mo- a lot of the trees on my property are trees that my dad planted in 1979, 1980, 1981. And you know, I was like, like, wow, that's and that makes me think like I should be planting trees. <laughs> you know, I don't even know why, but like I should be planting trees right now. It's kind of that idea of like the best time ever to plant a tree was 30 years ago, and the second best time is today. You know, kind of idea. You can say, well, wouldn't it be 29 years ago? But, you know, stick with me there. It's kind of the idea of like things that probably would have happened that would have been good a long time ago, it's still okay just to do them now. And I, I think of that here is it's like how much has Jacob walked with God? How much has Jacob realized God has been with him? Well, God is with him now. God is, has been moving and God is moving now. Now verse four, so Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to him, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I've served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages 10 times with the Obvious thing that he hasn't raised his wages 10 times. Uh, The idea is he's lowered my wages 10 times in a row over the course of 20 years. Um, But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Verse nine, thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, which there's a possibility here he's never shared this with his wives because he's he's recounting things that God was doing. But it seems like maybe he never shared this with them because he's telling it to them now. Verse 11, then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see all the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled. For I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from the land and return to the land of your kindred. So like, what was that spotted, mottled stuff? Like, it was basically saying like, they were both in the breeding of livestock business, and they knew how to tell visually which ones would be Jacob's and which ones would be Laban's. And every time it was like, okay, these are yours, you know, Laban is like, Jacob, those are yours, these are mine, then like these would multiply like crazy and these wouldn't. So then Laban would be like, okay, scratch that. These are mine. And those are yours. And then these would all go crazy. So every time he tried to change it, Jacob is saying, God actually would tell me what to do to make sure that I kept getting all the livestock and he kept not getting the livestock. Um, So Jacob has this fresh vision of God, a fresh meeting with God. And this like desert wasteland that I feel like we've walked through already, this desert wasteland of Rachel and Leah, these two sisters that Jacob has married through this weird, crazy story, and then two of their servants that now um, Jacob has had children through, and they're all kind of trying to win each other's favor. They're all trying to like kind of make the promises of God come about. And it seems like without God's presence, they're kind of doing things about God without God. And there's this new season where it seems to be clear. Like, it's now crystal clear. Okay, God has been here. God's been here in this, like, Jerry Springer mess. And God is leading us to home. He's leading us to our promised land. He's leading us to return. So then we actually get a a shot at, like, you know, I think like in many ways you can tell a lot by family where it's like, hey, we're going on a vacation. It's like, oh, great. But it's like when you're waking up at 4 a.m. and like you got to make this flight and if you don't make this flight, you know, then someone forgets this and forgets this. Like you can pretty quickly become like the worst version of yourself. I feel like when you're going on this epic journey that's supposed to all be fun and great, you can become not fun and not great. And so we, you know, I think this family seems to be no different. So look how they leave on this. You know, they're moving. They're, they're moving to another country. Verse 14, then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, um, th- so this is their, their res- response to their husband. Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. They speak beautiful truth here. So Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. He drove away all his livestock, he's leading them, all his property that he had gained, the livestock in his possession that he had acquired in Padan Aram to go to the land of Canaan to his father, Isaac. Laban had gone to shear his sheep, And Rachel stole her father's household gods. And Jacob tricked Laban, the Aramean, by not telling him that he intended to flee. He fled with all that he had and arose and crossed the Euphrates and set his face towards the hill country of Gilead. When it was told to Laban on the third day that Jacob had fled, he took his kinsmen with him and pursued him for seven days and followed close after him into the hill country of Gilead. But God came to Laban, the Aramean, in a dream by night and said to him, be careful not to say anything to Jacob, either good or bad. So there's a lot here. There's a lot that's both good and bad here. So Rachel and Leah, in a really good way, they encouraged Jacob to follow God and for them to all head out. But then Rachel steals the household gods of Laban. So these are false gods, these are probably little, I mean, archeology span has found tons of these little, a lot of times they're, um, they're uh, beyond rated R type little images or, or like there's, um, sometimes you see and you're like, oh gosh, this is what they're, what they're worshiping and putting their hope in, these little figurines. Um, but basically they saw these figurines as being representative of gods. And, um, and so Rachel steals the whole household gods, these false gods, Uh, Then Jacob goes into his old ways of tricking people. It's like when Jacob is like, I guess I'll just go what always works for me. He tricks people. I think he would recognize it has never ended well, (laughs) but he is a deceiver, and that's kind of who he is. Um, You know, God can change anybody's identity. He's doing that to every one of us in this room, and he only works with people who have identities that need to be changed (laughs) And, um, but, you know, Jacob, when he is not letting God be big in his life, he is becoming a trickster again. Jacob does hear God say, go home. And a way that he's like seeking to live out the promises of God is by tricking people again. And then Laban hears about it and he goes after them. You know, they have three-day lead, but he's not taking any little kids with him. (laughs) He's not taking Uh, all the house with him, you know, he's going light, you know, they're just jumping on camels and going full speed and just kind of like warrior men are going, which could mean that they're getting ready to attack them. Um, But God meets with Laban and says, don't touch him. Don't even speak to him. Don't say anything to him, good or bad. I don't think Laban had any intention to say anything good to him, (laughs) Uh, but he said, don't even say anything good to him and don't say anything bad to him. And then what happens in the next 11 verses is Laban's group, they catch up with Jacob's family, and Laban, it seems like, doesn't listen to one thing God told him, and Laban just lays into him. He just lays into Jacob for tricking him, for leaving in a hurry. He said, "Hey, we would have blessed you. We would have sent you out. We would have had, you know, we, we would have gotten you up in front of everybody and sent you." And it's like... I don't trust Laban. I don't trust that he was about to do any of that. And Jacob obviously by his actions doesn't trust Laban as well. And Laban is, he's honing in on my household gods were stolen from me. Remember this is who Laban is putting his trust in. This is what Laban is looking to when things get hard. This is what Laban's looking to for his joy, for his comfort, for his identity. And likely they were expensive because other people who had a similar viewing, you know, it's like Pokemon cards or something where it's like there's a limited quantity, I need this, and so I'm willing to buy it from you because I need those three gods that I'm trying to collect because those six gods together are gonna round out my situation of my life and make me sleep well at night because I have these six things in my house watching over me. And so, so Rachel then tricks everybody into not letting anybody know that she took them. So Jacob thinks, Laban it's crazy, I would have never taken those gods. So, Laban, so Jacob even says, whoever takes it will be killed. Whoever takes these gods will be executed. Having no idea that the, the, the woman that he lusted after for 14 years and put all of his hopes into, he's now threatening that she's gonna be killed. Um, for these gods that she's tricking them. So just kind of setting the stage, and it, it made me just ask the question, why did she take them? I think it's a fair question for all of us. Like, why did she take them? So one option is she took them for the money. These are potentially valuable trinkets. You know, they wouldn't call them trinkets. Valuable things that I could sell on the market, and you know, if we needed some money, I've got, I've got a whole bank account that's I'm sitting on top of, you know. Well, it's abundantly clear they don't need money, you know. Like, like they're they're not hurting in the monet, in the monetary area because that's kind of what all of this conversation has been about. So, 99.9 percent chance, like she did not take them from them for, for the money. Um, she could have taken them just to spite her dad, but they're leaving. I think. You know, I, I don't think that's likely. I, th- I think what's most likely is a thing called syncretism. And all, what's, it's a big word, but all that syncretism is, is when you believe God. So someone who holds to syncretism is telling you, hey, I'm a Christian, I believe God. And I'm also adding my old way of thinking to that. So I believe God and I'm supplementing that with a lot of other ways of thinking to hedge my bets. So I'm I'm adding to this. So what Rachel seems to be doing and realize, when they leave, they're not just like, hey, let's, let's move to a different town. They're going, remember the reason they left was because Jacob's brother vowed to kill them, to kill him. Jacob had tricked Esau into his whole inheritance. And so Esau got nothing, Jacob got everything because Jacob tricked Esau. And Jacob fled because Esau had determined I'm gonna kill my brother as soon as my parents die. And Jacob has no idea if his parents are still living. It's been 20 years. And now Jacob is going back home, likely to face his brother who, which this is gonna be our focus in the next chapter, is, is my brother gonna kill me? So they're not just moving across town, right? So one of the things that's happening here is that Rachel, it seems, is watching her family go off on this truly dangerous mission. Will Esau be there waiting for us to kill us? Our group has grown considerably. Maybe his group has grown considerably. Maybe they're bigger, faster, stronger, meaner than we are. Can we really trust God on the mission he's calling us on? Like, I think that's a core question for Rachel. Can I really trust God for the mission that he's calling me on? Rachel is following God. Like Rachel has told her husband, do what God tells you to do. And she's sitting on the gods of her past, sitting on the gods of her family, seemingly to be hoping that between her trust in God and adding to that trust all these false gods that together, collectively, her family will be okay. And um, I think just the idea, anything you add, to trusting in God is subtracting your trust from God. So if you're like, "I God, I my life is scary, it's big, it's complicated, there's all sorts of crazy stuff going on. I trust you." 100%. But it might not hurt to have 150% in my favor. So I'm going to also trust this self-help book and I'm gonna also trust this and this and this and working together because I don't know if I can completely trust you, I'm gonna trust these other things and we'll have 150% in our favor and we're gonna do this thing. And it's like, well, that other is subtracting from the one that we are designed to trust and that, that they are being invited to trust. Trusting God plus trusting what we used to put our trust in might be a way of thinking about it too. Before meeting Jesus, before Jesus communicating the things that he has to many of us here, before many of us being totally forgiven of all of our sin because of his forgiving heart, his work on our behalf, his death, his life, his pursuit of us, tricksters, or labans, or whatever, you know, we're we're a church of all of these people. (laughs) I, I find myself in all of them. Um and to realize like he is the one that is pursuing us, inviting us to trust him and to lay down what we used to put our trust in. Anything we add to trusting God is subtracting from our trust in God. So when Jacob realizes that Laban is not finding the household gods, Laban's looking everywhere to accuse Jacob, and I just see Jacob like starting to get angry. Like self righteousness is rising up inside of him. And he's like, Oh, no, you aren't. You know, you can't find them. They're not anywhere to be found. Look at verse 36. Jacob became angry and berated Laban. See, they're in the middle of a desert. And uh, Jacob is berating Laban. Jacob said to Laban, "Uh, What is my offense? What is my sin that you have hotly pursued me? For you have felt through all my goods. What have you found of all your household, what of your household goods? See it here before my kinsmen and your kinsmen that they may decide between us. Put all the evidence in front of me. These 20 years, he says, verse 38, these 20 years I've been with you. Your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried and I've not eaten the rams of your flocks. What was torn by wild beasts, I did not bring it to you. I bore the loss of it myself. So he's saying like even when his people were watching Laban's flock and if something happened and some of Laban's flock died, they never even charged it against Laban. They took it themselves. You know, he's, he's talking about we have had integrity. We have had righteousness. He said, I bore the loss of it for myself. From my hand, you required it. So, so he's saying like, like you actually were expecting me to be like that. Even if it was stolen by day or stolen by night, There I was, by day the heat consumed me, the cold by night, my sleep fled from my eyes. These 20 years I've been in your house, I've served you for 14 years for your two daughters, six years for your flock, you have changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction and the labor of my hands and rebuked you last night. And I don't know how Jacob knew that God met with him the night before. Maybe somehow he heard about it through the grapevine or whatever it may be. But all of these things that Jacob says to Laban are true. They are, like, if you really look at it, it's like, okay, these are true statements. And Jacob reviews their history together, leaving out all of his flaws, (laughs) Like if you look at how he is communicating all of this, it's in a way that we communicate when we're in an argument with somebody. You kind of choose to forget all of the role that you had to play in everything. And you're just, you got this whole storage room of ammo to just, you had another person that you're just trying to get all of your anger off, all of your fears, all of your shame, all of your just throwing it at the other person. And like he doesn't mention how, he for seven years, maybe for 20 years, didn't even lo- didn't love Leah, Laban's oldest daughter. Like he, he doesn't mention the, the ways that he clearly was lusting after Rachel in a way that was uh, beyond above reproach. He's complacent in the way that he ends up having four wives and mother's kids through four wives. He um, forgets his tricking of Laban. And Jacob doesn't know that Rachel's actually sitting on the household gods. So a lot of his anger that's rising up is unjustified um, because he doesn't know what's totally true. He thinks he knows the truth. And from his perspective, he's sharing true things, but he's not all-knowing. And there's a lot of things he doesn't know about. And I don't think he would act this way if he actually saw as God sees So where they get to is like, yes, Jacob is being used by God. Yes, God is orchestrating events in his life. And Jacob is far from perfect as this is all happening. And they end the chapter, these two guys, by agreeing to a truce. Verse 51, then Laban said to Jacob, see this heap in the pillar, so they've heaped up all these, these rocks. He says, this heap that's kind of on our border of our countries, um, he says, see this heap in the pillar which I've set between you and me. This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. So Jacob and Laban, I think you could maybe say, agree to disagree. They agree that their relationship being together has come to an end. They set up this pillar that says, hey, whenever we pass between each other, we're reminding ourselves we're never going to pass to harm the other person. It's like, I promise not to destroy you. He's like, well, I promise not to destroy you and we gotta set this up to remind each other. But we have no evidence that they ever interacted with each other ever again. I I think it's safe to say they cut each other off. Um, The chapter ends, interestingly, with Laban affectionately kissing his grandchildren goodbye. Affectionately kissing his daughters goodbye and doesn't seem... Doesn't say anything about anything between the two guys, you know. It seems like grandfather was loving the grandkids and the, the his daughters, and they agreed not to kill each other. <clears throat> and oh man, so like w- stinks to be them. A way that we could approach scripture. Glad I'm not Lavin glad I'm not Jacob, all right, let's go home, good stuff. Um, man, like those of us who have put, like I don't have to manufacture how this should hit home, and if I did, it would be poor manufacturing on my part. Um, I trust that in every word of scripture, it's God's word to them and to us, God's word for them and for us. And if you think this is for other people, it is completely for other people and for you. Um, And sometimes our best use of time is to focus on us because we can be the best participants. And if we're all doing that, then we can move towards each other in beautiful ways. And we can help each other moving towards each other. But those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, given our sinful lives to him to get his life to get his victory, for his victory to be our victory. Like our our whole life is really a setting out towards the promised land. Even with each of us having our whole, a whole bag of household gods strapped to us and he could have set up a pillar to say like, okay, you go that way, I'll go that way, I'll find some other people to work with, won't work with you guys. But like, even Jesus coming, even Jesus doing the things he did, like actually destroy those pillars and say like, I am coming for you. Bow or run. (laughs) There's a guy from church history that said, that should be what every preacher says. Bow or run. like if you if you feel that you're sensing his heart is like he is after you he is pursuing you he is seeking to overtake you and he is leading us to the promised land and promising to accompany us as we go home we are doing it imperfectly we are clinging to our household gods and he says come on in come home i will be with you trust me alone you're gonna trust a thousand different things and I'm gonna keep inviting you to trust me. And there's a lot of things we trust that are good things. You know, I've talked to people who have been like, the center of my life is my kids. That's what I live for, that's what I devote my money to, that's what I devote my thoughts to, my kids. And I'm not like, well, the goal of my life will be to make your kids see, be evil in your eyes or whatever. It's like, that is a really good thing. <laughs> a dad that says that is good. And it is a wicked God. Your kids are not designed to take that role. Good things become wicked things when we think they're God things. And actually, when God is a center, we can have a healthy relationship with our kids. We don't look to them as our savior, our redeemer, our everything, what identifies us. Because we're being identified by him, we can come close to them. And I find that the times when I'm not as I should be with my kids, and thankfully they're old enough now to like mention that to me, which I hate hearing, but then I need to hear, which is like, yeah, there's something not right in me that was making me respond disproportionately to you. Um, I think if I'm present with the Lord, I could have been present with you in that and not you feel my wrath. He is near us in the long years of silence. He is near us in the prosperity. He is near us in the scary times. He is near us in the unknown. We can be known in the unknown. We can, as I've had the privilege to get to know a lot of people's stories. A lot of us have moments like this in our stories. I don't know how this is gonna end. I don't know how this is gonna turn out. There's a thousand ways this could this could work itself out. And, and man, it's a gift for us to lock arms together and to realize he's present with us. And as Kevin talked about and prayed, is that um, as he increases, these things become appropriate. And we'll see this with a great, um, we have a couple that are coming next week that, that the husband will be preaching and stuff, but the, the week after that, uh, which please come, he's one of my, uh, a preacher that has ministered to my soul deeply, Andrew Burkhardt is his name, um, but then the following week, Jacob gets worse and actually puts his whole family lined up for Esau to kill all of them before they get to him. And what happens is Jesus takes him out not kills him, which is what he should do, but, well, what I would do. That's what I would do. He tackles him and wrestles with him until he breaks him because he loves him too much to let him keep going the direction he's going. And, um, and I've, I've been, for like weeks, I've been like, please, chapter 32, you can't come fast enough. And so thank, we don't have to wait for chapter 32. Lord willing, it'll be blessed. It'll be a beautiful day for us, but like, why, why doesn't today be a beautiful day for us? Let him take you out. <laughs> Let him wrestle with you until he breaks you. Because when he breaks us, he's forming us to, to the way he, he's designed us to be. His breaking is our healing. His breaking is our healing. And so Lord, whatever, I, I just wanna say here we are, Would we right now be communing with you? Just as all of these people in this chapter could have had their minds flooded with what ifs, but you don't really know this. This has to get worked out before this can happen with you. Jesus, would you just wrestle with us in a way that you break us? that whatever we have a death grip on, we can actually open our hands. Whatever we are seeking to, by any means necessary, make sure this happens, that we can just do a trust fall into you, knowing that you're gonna catch us. Would we put all of our weight on you? I believe that's what faith is. It's just us putting all of our weight on you trusting that you are holding, that you are leading us, that you are carrying us, that you are sending us. So Lord, we look to you to commune with us right now for your glory, we pray, amen. So as we are communing with him, communion is just a tangible, um, there will be a day when we're apart. those of us who have given our lives to Jesus, we will commune with him, the wedding feast of the Lamb, It will be the day, it'll be the day that we realize we've all been yearning for. And um, he gave us this to say, do this as often as you do until we do it together. And he promises his presence. So this is not us like thinking about like God from afar. This is actually a way for us to, the way we will feel one day, for us to enter into that moment together as a church and to commune with him uh, the Oswalds, were it's their joy to serve you today. Um, if you are not someone who has bowed to the king, if you have not given your life to Jesus, I would ask you not to come, but you're not an outsider, you're here on purpose. Instead of coming to the table, come to Jesus. Costs you no money, costs you no time, costs you no effort in one sense, because As scripture says, buy what costs you nothing. And it's not because it wasn't costly, but it was because it was paid by someone else. And so you can say, hey, I accept your payment for my soul. I had no idea you valued me so highly and I give my life to you. And I would love to help you with that. Um, if, if you would like, I'll just be standing over here. But for all of us as we're communing with Jesus, let's spend some moments communing with him. And then let's come boldly to the table, take the elements, uh, they'll serve you the, the bread, and then wine or juice, obey your conscience there. Uh, then hold the elements, remain standing, and we'll take it together as family.